Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a class from our 2022 Elul Learning Series. The first thing I wanted to say is welcome everybody and thank you very much for joining us. Um, I want to say thank you to Temple Beth Am for having me teach on their Back to Basics series. Um, I'm Rabbi Deborah Silver. For those, I think I, I think I know most folks on the call uh, or have crossed paths with them at least once. Um, but for those of you who don't know, I'm Rabbi Deborah Silver. I'm English, as you can hear. I grew up in London, England. I trained here in Los Angeles at the Ziegler School. I worked for Adat Ariel as an assistant rabbi for six years, and I have just come back from a six-year place in uh, New Orleans, which is a very different place from Los Angeles and gave me a very different perspective. However, the basics remain the same. I've always been interested in prayer. I've always been interested in the process of prayer. Um, and I hope that uh, over the course of the next hour and a bit, um, we will be able to share some of our own thoughts about prayer. Um, and I want to offer in time for the High Holy Days, um, a, uh, a way of understanding or some approaches that we can take to the process of praying as we kind of gird ourselves up and get ready for um, uh, the longest uh, the longest prayer book of the year let's say there's some very intensive praying that goes on over the course of the high holy days so i'm doubly grateful to temple betham um for letting me share these thoughts in in advance of them um, i always like to begin study with the uh, bracha for study the prayer for studying um if you if you feel you have not come across this before, don't worry. It's very easy to acquire because it's a blessing, just like the blessing that we would say over any mitzvah. So the blessing over candles, the blessing over putting on your talit, exactly the same kind of blessing. It's just got a different end. So the words at the end of the blessing are la'asok b'divrei Torah, to engage in words of Torah, and it's a blessing with the formula Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav. Now, were this a live classroom, we would join, we would be able to hear each other's voices. I want to ask us to be courageous. It will confuse the Zoom completely, but that is not my issue. More important is that we hear each other. So if you are willing to, please take yourselves off mute so that we can bless our learning, and we'll do it together. Baruch Atah Adonai. Thank you. Thank you. And you can put yourselves back on mute, but now we know that there are real people there and that even though this is a virtual room, it is a virtual room that is populated by real people. 
And I want to begin with a question uh, by way of introductions. We're a small enough group for us to be able to go around the room and introduce ourselves to each other by name. So just a quick question to warm ourselves up and get us started. When did we last pray and mean it? Like really mean it. Okay, when did we last pray and mean it? So take just a moment to think about it. Uh, and then if we have a brave volunteer to be the first, uh, let me invite, I see a hand. I see Tybel's hand. Tybel, yep. Um, introduce yourself before you answer the question, if you would. Thank you. Um, my religious name is Tybel. And now having quickly looked at Rabbi Silver intended goals, I am 65, so I'm in the age group that she is looking um, to serve in Los Angeles. I found something that you said age 50 to 75. Um, I am originally from Pittsburgh. I am now, grew up at a conservative shul. I'm now living in Maryland. Given that, uh, I'll do this wording, I am a ritually observant atheist. Given that proviso, so good thing I'm Jewish, because otherwise people would say, then your prayer doesn't have meaning, but you, one can be Jewish atheist. The last time I prayed with meaning, um, I belong also, I do belong to Betham Affiliate, it's called, but I'm an out-of-town member at a Cleveland shul, and at 6 o'clock my time, which would be 3 o'clock your time, I had evening minion. Thank you. Thank you. That's a really thorough answer. Um, and just to say, yes, there is a great breadth in Judaism in terms of answering this question of who or what do we pray to or for or with or about I like to change my prepositions when it comes to that thing. So there is a great deal of breath. Thank you, Tybal. It's really lovely to have you on the call. Somebody else? Please don't be shy. And please understand, by the way, that I'm also not asking when did you last go to synagogue? Uh, if I can, without raising my hand, because I can't seem to find the little button that allows me to do that right this second, but... Um, I'll go ahead. This is A.J. Happel. I met a Rabbi Deborah Silver briefly, extremely, all too briefly, uh, in New Orleans at her congregation. We spent a lovely Shabbat with, um, with her and her congregation, uh, led by the morning services, largely led by uh, our Rabbi Adam Klickfeld and uh, Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Um, and I was happy to have the honor of an aliyah at your Mincha service. I, last time I was at services was uh, yesterday. I am a gabai in the library minion. I have a technical background, but I'm open to a lot of different thought models, and those include um, theological and spiritual models as well. Um, and the most, the last time, that I had what I would call a significant, meaningful, really intense, prayerful moment uh, happened to be uh, uh, either yesterday morning or 
uh, might have been, yeah, I think it was yesterday morning. Um, and it was during the Fukushima. Um, uh, I was praying for my cousin's health. So uh, I, did I answer all the questions? You did, you did, and you answered them beautifully, AJ. I remember you now, I can place you now, and it's really lovely to see you again. Uh, thank you for coming. Someone else? Yes, Octavio. Oh, Octavio is frozen a little bit. Hello, my name is Octavio Chaitis. I have been practicing for the last time that I had meaningful prayer was yesterday evening. Uh, I was in quarantine and it ended and my I saw my parents and that was one of those times where the moment that they leave, I was so grateful that uh, that I, I had to say a prayer and it was very meaningful. So I, unfortunately, it was very uh, a long quarantine, but it was a good one. Oh, boy. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Octavio. I'm glad that you're back in the land of the living. Um, Tybal uh, said uh, she wanted to know, you, your, uh, your signal is a little bit in and out, Octavio. So if you can just tell us again how long you've been practicing for or pop it in the chat. It's now approximately 12 years. 12 years. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Thank you. Thank you. And that's almost as long as I've known you as well. Um, thanks, Octavio. Okay, so we're already finding that there are things like um, there are intense emotional states like uh, sickness and healing that somehow tie up with the way we pray. Somebody else? When did we last pray and mean it? If you don't want to answer, that's all right, too. Let me just, this is not, this is not a contribute or die session, but I'm always interested to ask the question. So is there, any, is there anybody else who wants in? If not, we can carry on. Anyone? May I add one thing, if it's okay? Sure, Ty. That For me, my father, may his memory be for a blessing, was a cantor, and the first time I heard AJ lead a service her voice and her intention made it so meaningful for me. I don't mean to embarrass her, but I I asked in the chat, who is that? Who is that leading? That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll add that it can make a very great difference to our prayer experience to be led by somebody who who picks us up and who carries us in that way. Okay, so let me, um, I, w I will say, by the way, that the last time, for, for, uh, for completeness, I will say that the last time that I prayed and meant it was when I was listening to my roommate uh, on the phone arranging her mother's hospice. Um, it was not a prayer in specific words. Um, I think I was still in my pajamas. Um, but it was, uh, I, I found myself tuning into a very prayerful state. Um, and that was this morning. So, 
let me let me move to um, some themes that uh, some of these have come out and some of these have not yet come out, but I want to name them. Um, and it comes from uh, it comes from the idea that I have, as I said in the course description, that we do we do an awful lot of praying as practicing Jews, um, but we don't often think of prayer as a skill. Uh, I think it can often feel like prayer, especially communal prayer, synagogue prayer, is something that we somehow need to, uh, we're somehow expected to know how to do. We walk into a room full of praying people and they all look like they know what they're doing with the prayer. And it can, uh, and prayer, uh, communal prayer, is actually quite a complicated skill. It involves a great number of words. It involves a great number of words that aren't necessarily in our language. It involves walking into a room until we have become part of the community. It, it involves walking into a room uh, in the same way as we walk into a party, maybe that might be full of people we don't know or people we aren't acquainted with yet. So prayer can be quite complicated on the one hand. And on the other hand, as we've seen, there is the kind of prayer that just bubbles up in our hearts and tends to overflow when there is something that we are feeling strongly. And that can happen whether we believe in what people have told us God is or not there's there's like this opening moment that happens and inconveniently for us as Jews both of those are put under the umbrella of prayer so I want to split the session into two parts as of now. I want, to, I want us first of all to look at and consider our experience of communal prayer. And then I want us to look at personal prayer because I, I think, I think often, uh, with the way that we learn about prayer, the way that, the way that we're introduced to prayer, we're given the communal far more than the personal and sometimes it can drown our own voices out. But both of those, as we saw, minion, a prayer for healing, a prayer for the end of quarantine, a prayer standing at the kitchen table in our pajamas, all of those are valid experiences of prayer. And in learning about prayer and thinking about prayer as a skill, we can embrace all of those. But let me outline some of the common challenges that I come across when I when I teach and when I uh, interact with people, uh, both as a rabbi and as a teacher, uh, about prayer. Some themes that I've noticed are communal prayer can feel challenging because it's often not in our language. We have various ways of addressing Hebrew. We might not have learned Hebrew as children. I didn't. Uh, it might have come to us late in life. How do we pray validly when we're praying in a language that isn't our own? So that's often a challenge for us. Um, how do we stay focused and how do we concentrate on our prayer. In a communal setting, that can be really distracting because often we keep getting interrupted. 
Uh, either the prayer leader is moving faster than we are or the prayer leader is moving slower than we are or somebody is standing up or somebody is sitting down or there's a child running around the room or the fire alarm has just gone off. Whatever it is, we're constantly being pulled out of our focus and our concentration. And that can be a frustrating experience when we're trying to pray. And then the, uh, the last one of these, which was the one that I found hardest to put words on, is this sort of paradox that prayer is a very private experience. You know, would you want somebody to, would you want to be in a room full of people when you were getting washed and bathed and changed in the morning? Arguably not. Prayer is more intimate than that. And yet we're in a room and we're expected to do it all together. It's um, T.S. Eliot, of all people, who said, uh, who talked about private words being declared or being addressed in public. And I think that can often be a challenge of communal prayer as well. How do we carry ourselves, our personal selves and our personal wishes and our interior reality into the public space? By contrast and in addition, we may very well have not grown up with the idea of personal prayer. Octavio gave us an example of personal prayer outside of communal space, outside of synagogue. Other faiths, particularly Christianity actually, are very big on spontaneous personal prayer. So one of the things when we try and pray outside of our communal spaces, one of the things that comes up for us is, wait a minute, is this authentically Jewish at all? Am I, am I being a Jewish person? Am I, do, am I doing a Jewish thing when I, when I pray um, for myself in my own words? Um, what if I get stuck? You know, what, what are the right words to use? You know, if, if I'm going to address God, what, uh, or however I conceive God, what is the correct form of address to use? Where do I even start? Open, uh, laying out my thoughts in prayer. And I added, when I was putting the notes together this morning, I added, why does this feel so weird? Because if we're not in the habit of praying personally, um, it can feel very strange to stand by the kitchen table and think, okay, what I need to do now is pray. Often it's situationally driven, please God heal my sister, please God find me a parking space, please God let this plane land safely, please God let this heat wave stop, yeah, um, but it can feel a little disconcerting to talk in that way. So in summary, prayer can be a, a challenging experience. The good thing about it is that as human beings, we get to do it over and over again. We don't have to get it all right the first time. It's not a performance. Um, prayer is something that we move away from and come back into, that we flow into and out of over the course of a day, over the course of a week, over the course of a year. 
Yeah. So um, we can constantly be exploring. We can constantly be experimenting. We can constantly be refining. And all of this adds up to a key idea. If you take nothing else away from this session, please take away. There is no one right way to pray. There is no one right way to pray. There's a theoretically infinite number of ways to pray, depending on the location, the situation, the age, the frame of mind, our bodily health, the weather, that all of those are going to affect our prayer experience. And there is no, despite what we may or may not have learned in Hebrew school about when we stand up and when we sit down, there is no right way to do it. There are only ways of praying and there are only approaches to prayer. So as far as, as, far as communal prayer is concerned, um, I want to bring something from another part of our tradition. Give me a wave or, or give me some kind of signal. If you have come across ever in your Jewish learning this idea of the orchard or the pardes, has anybody come across those table has come across that before? Anybody else? Any other hands? It, uh, I, uh, Mara has come across it before. Um, and can I ask in what context you came across Pardes? I'm going to explain Pardes and I'm going to apply it to Jewish prayer. Um, but can I ask in what context you well, came across um, Well, first, well, well, um, I see it's a pomegranate tree, but you're not talking about pomegranates. You're talking about stam pardes, yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I just wanted a nice picture. I think those yeah. are apples. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think in what context. I just. I. I, um, I. I can't think specifically of a, of the context, but I. I mean, I know that. Um, uh, I, I can't think specifically, but I but I know that yeah. it's very much um, it's a thing. It's yes, it's it's there in the liturgy. I know that okay. it's a thing. It's a thing, and you're right. It is a thing. It's a um, it's a rubric. It's a memory aid, uh, and it's a shorthand in Jewish learning. Good. All right. And Tybal, do you want to chip in? Uh, well, you, you'll stop me if it's n not what you were looking for. But in addition to the um, the rubric, the pshat, I have a much more intense association because um, a relative of mine who died in a bus bombing in Israel had written a published paper about the four who went to Pardes right. and what happened to them. And, and her memory, after I was ready to do it, I came up with a class and a lecture and a series of workshops that I taught for many years in her memory. That's so, nice. so my association is more the four who went to Pardes and what happened. And also to bring it back to conservative, the, um, Rabbi Milton Steinberg as a driven leaf. Lovely. 
Okay. So there there are two there are two ways that that we typically encounter Pardes in Jewish learning, and each of you has expressed one of them. One, uh, Teibel, let's take yours first. There's a story in the Talmud um, that begins: four rabbis went into an orchard. It would be it would be a humorous story if it was four rabbis went into a bar, but this is a serious midrash um, about four rabbis encountering what is beyond reality and what happens to them and what what goes on from there, and that's the story uh, that Teibel is talking about, and it's a it's a, a story from the Talmud, and as Teibel says, the fate of one of those rabbis inspired Milton Steinberg's novel As a Driven Leaf. The other way that you encounter the orchard, the Persian word for orchard is pardes. The other way that you encounter it is as a rubric. Each of the letters in the word stands for something, yeah? It's an acronym. It's a, you hear a lot about three-letter acronyms. Pardes is a four-letter acronym. And the rabbis of our tradition use it to explain four different ways of approaching Jewish text, four different ways of experiencing Torah. And I thought, well, if Pardes gets used as four different ways of experiencing Torah and other Jewish text, why? what would we learn if we applied it to our experience of Jewish prayer? So that's what I'm going to do. And I want to stress before we begin that these are only suggestions. Yeah, this session came out. I, I originally conceived this session because I could see how students and, um, and, and people in my community were struggling with the experience of prayer, that it was that it was not. Um, it was not alive for them, that it was often frustrating for them. And uh, there are times where, just to be transparent, prayer can be frustrating when you're the prayer leader as well. The continued exposure to prayer and those sort of tacit expectations that I was talking about, you know, is there a right way or a wrong way to do it? And can we get done before lunch? And when is it time for Kiddush? And why will the person next to me not uh, not do it more loudly or not do it more softly or just not do it at all? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to see if there was a way that we could step back and uh hold it a bit more lightly and with a bit more curiosity. And since the rabbis created this idea of pardes, these four different approaches, in order to be curious about Torah, I want to offer them as a way of being curious about prayer. Let me pause for a moment, ask if anybody has any thoughts, observations, questions... Anything before we begin? Yeah. I to you for, um, for coming up with that. I think that's actually, it's brilliant. <laughs> Bless you. You see, yeah. I, I credit the rabbis. I credit the rabbis. Yeah, I mean, because I, I know, I mean, I, I, I know what each of, I mean, I know what they stand for. And so to bring that to the different levels of prayer, which is how you kind of started it with people. Yeah. I, yeah. 
So let's see how it works. Thank you. It's kind of you. I appreciate the compliment. Um, I, I dedicate the compliment to the teachers who came before me, and let's play. Let's see how this works. Let's become a laboratory, and, and let's see how this works when we apply it to prayer. So the the pay in the word pardes, bless you, bless you, Esther. You see, that's a good prayer as well, by the way. <laughs> You're coughing. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's rough. Yeah. Drink the water. Um, so the uh, the first uh, the first of these initials, the pay, the Hebrew letter pay, stands for pshat. And pshat is often translated as simple or superficial. But the, the true meaning of the Hebrew word pshat is, is that you're, you're sort of doing, uh, it means spread out or spread thin. Yeah. And if we take that approach that when we look at it in terms of Torah, pshat is just look at the words. Just look at what the words say. Here is a word and here is what it says. So at best, pshat would be you're reading the words out loud in Hebrew, maybe with the help of a translation, or maybe you know how to translate them already, but your reading experience is not going deeper than that. So you can see how it comes to be spread out. If you're reading that way, then you can get through quite a lot of text in quite a short time, which is why I chose the visual that I chose. So pshat is reading the prayer. With the Siddurim that we have, we can read the prayer in English, or if our language skills permit it, we can read it in Hebrew. Either way, what we're doing is building the basic skill of reading and articulating the Hebrew. Just because it says simple doesn't mean it's basic. If you think about it, Reading a prayer in Hebrew is actually quite a complicated business altogether. You get the, uh, you get the shape of the words. You get the, the taste of the words. One of the things that I love about Hebrew is that the word taste and the word meaning are, are the same word, tam. Yeah, so, so you, you kind of chew on the words. And if we decide that we're going to pray this way with a particular prayer, then if we do it over and over again, we will build our skills, we will become fluent, and we will be able to pray faster and faster and faster. Yeah, this is the this is the skill. This it's, it's one of the reasons that I think shul going to shul can feel intimidating, because you're surrounded by people who are going. Amen. Yeah. Um, which can be scary if we don't read at that speed. Um, uh, but it's also a way of experiencing the prayer very directly in our mouths and in our bodies. And if we do it enough times, we will become fluent. And the upside, each of these, I'm going to suggest that each of these approaches has its advantages and its disadvantages. The upside is that if we dedicate ourselves to bit by bit learning how to pray in this way. Obviously, we're not going to be able to do it all at once, but we grow in skill. And there's something very special about that and very rewarding about that. The first day that we can get all the way through the Shema in Hebrew. 
the first day that we can get all the way through the first paragraph of the Amida in Hebrew. The first day that we manage one of the tricky middle paragraphs of the Amida in Hebrew, the first time that we're able to do a piece of Hallel, and so on and so on and so on. It's very rewarding to pray Pshat. Pshat also means, by the way, that we can sing along when people are singing, and that's a rewarding skill in itself. So one way of approaching prayer is to pray it Pshat to pray it just with the words, to say to ourselves, this is where I'm going to put my focus today, or this is where I'm going to put my focus on this particular prayer as a little project for myself this week, this month, this year. This is what I'm going to do. And I promise that with repetition, we grow in skill. That's just how it is. That's part of being a human being. But praying with Pshat, forgive the phone, the uh, the machine will pick up in a minute. Uh, praying with Pshat also has a downside, and the downside is that it's rather like driving on the freeway. Yeah, when you first become a driver, you're acutely aware of everything it is that you're doing, and you're focusing, and you have perfect concentration. The more you drive that part of the freeway, the less attention you end, but you end up paying to it. So the downside of praying shut is that you miss four exits of the prayer. Before you know you've been saying it, your your mouth has said all the words, but somehow your brain hasn't been involved or engaged at any point. And I, I want to suggest that with a prayer that has become familiar, all of us can be there, right? All of us will have been there at some point or another. It's It just comes with the territory when you're praying shut. okay? Any thoughts, reactions? Yes, Mara. Have at it. So, uh, um, I'm a little, I'm a little confused. I want to just understand what you said. The downside you said is missing, like missing four exits on the freeway, and I'm not sure why. Is you, I'm not, I'm not clear of the reason that you're missing. Okay, when you've got a prayer down, think about maybe the first paragraph of the Shema, yeah. So, or the first line of the Shema, maybe. Yeah, we're able to say it really fluently. The more fluent we become, the more commonplace, the more simple, the more pshat it will become to us. Okay, I get it. You see what I mean? We can kind of skid through it. Sorry if I didn't explain that clearly. Does does that make more sense? Does everybody get what I'm saying? Yeah, that you can just glide through the prayer and the next thing you know you're out and it's it's almost as if you it's almost as if you kinda of, sorta of didn't do it. Yeah? That's the downside of shut. Yeah? It can be really rewarding as we're learning, it can be less rewarding once we've learned it. But fortunately, there's more than one way to pray a prayer. So let me bring us now to the. Uh, um, may I may I ask what I hope will be a quick one, sure. because I can tell how carefully you're using words, and I want to make sure that I understood in your mind the distinction you were making between simple and basic. Yeah. So tell me tell me what you're tell me what you're asking. Well, what I thought you meant, but I want to be sure, is that basic to you is beginning. Yes. Or starting out. Yes. But simple means 
the concept itself is easily understood? Not quite. I'm, I'm glad you're calling me on this because that's not quite what I meant. Um, I think what I meant was um, basic means something, uh, you know, that you can grab with practice. Yeah. The, the first line of the Shema is in its way pretty basic, but it's not in the least simple. Yeah, it's six words. You can learn the six words. You can learn them. Uh, you can learn them by writing them down in English letters. You can learn them by writing them down in Hebrew letters. Yeah. So they're basic, but they're not simple. Does that clarify it or make things worse? It makes it more interesting. <laughs> I got basic. I'm going to think more about. I got the basic, but the simple. I that's, think there are layers of that. Saying, Mara. That's what I'm saying. Simple is actually not simple when it comes to prayer. Yeah, pshat is not pshat when it comes to prayer. There's a lot of work there and there's a lot of work to do. Getting the Hebrew, getting the flow, getting the tune if there's a tune, getting the repetition, keeping up with the person at the front of the room who's leading it. Yeah, none of that stuff is basic. Yeah. None of that stuff is simple. Leave alone what the prayer actually means if you're reading it in the English. See what I mean? Does that help? Mara? It's not it's not me, Rabbi Silver, it's Tybal that we've oh, that's been saying this. Oh I'm sorry, Tybal. I thought I, oh, I was oh, sorry about I that. I thought you were switching back to Mara's question when you were answering mine. Um Yes, though I'm still gonna think about it. Okay, please go ahead and think about it. It might be clearer once you've got the other three pieces. Shall we, shall we move forward? Okay, so I want to reverse the order of the middle letters of the word. Uh, and I want to take the word that begins with Dalad next. And the word that begins with Dalad is translated as drush. And the um, you've you've heard this word before if you've ever heard the word midrash, because it's at the root of the word, or if you've ever heard the word drasha, which is the kind of Hebrewish that we use to describe the rabbi's sermon. The true meaning of the word drash is to inquire very deeply into something. So another way of praying is rather than um, rather than sitting and saying to ourselves, OK, I'm going to practice this prayer and I'm going to keep practicing until I can until I can do it, until I can do it in Hebrew or until I can read it to myself in English in a way that is satisfactory to myself. You can step outside of the prayer and you can say, OK, so what is this prayer about what is the Shema about? What is the Amida about? What is the Alenu prayer about? And as soon as you start asking questions like that, and this is a valid way to pray, then you're you're in the territory of Drush. Because you're, it's not just the words on the page and what you're doing with them anymore. It's the questioning of the words on the page. Do you see what I mean? 
And consciously or unconsciously, a lot of us pray this way in synagogue a lot of the time, especially if we have a, a siddur with, uh, with um, commentary. Because as we're, you know, as we're casting our eyes around on the page as the service is going on, we catch a we catch sight of what a teacher had to say about a prayer or the history of the prayer. And sometimes if the experience of trying to pray isn't working for us, it can help to step outside and say instead, okay, this morning I'm not going to worry so much about the words and keeping up with the words. I am going to inquire deeply into this prayer. I want to come away this morning having found out something about this prayer that I didn't know before. Now, for that, you need commentary or you need somebody next to you to discuss it with. I always like to tell myself that when people are talking in shul, they're actually discussing the prayers or whatever it is that we're reading. Um, but it, this in itself, I want to suggest, is a valid way to pray. It engages a different part of our brain. Study is worship in, uh, in Judaism. The best example of that is that we read Torah at the center of our services four times a week. So studying prayer is a way of praying. Tybal, I see your hand. Yeah. Um, isn't another example the fact that in traditional Hebrew, there are three names for a synagogue? Beis HaTfilah, Beit HaKnesset, and Beis HaMidrash. Tell me more about that. Well, to me, it's always been that's the three ways to engage through oh, prayer, yes. through study, yes, or yes, through yes, community. Yes. Even yeah. though modern Hebrew picked the community word, it yes. doesn't invalidate the other two. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're and, and what I what I want to say is that on days where the words might not be doing for us, the thing that might wake up our soul, the thing that might help us pray is having a question about the prayer or having a question about the prayer answered. The diving into a particular prayer is itself a way of praying. And the upside of taking that approach is that it keeps us engaged by definition. When I'm sitting looking at the Shema, asking myself, okay, so it says Shema, it says listen. I wonder why it says listen. I wonder why it doesn't say see. I wonder why it doesn't say touch. I'm, I'm engaging already deeply with the prayer. I'm in an experience of study. I'm praying. I'm just not praying in the in the sense of reading the words out of the prayer book. The downside of drush, though, and it can happen, is that we can end up in a situation where we're doing so much studying that it kind of feels like work. And then we've fallen off the other side of the horse. Do you see what I mean? We're not we're not praying anymore. We're we're busy studying. We've we've gotten into the part of ourselves that is kind of quantifying or keeping notes. Or worse than that, there's a part of ourselves sitting on our shoulder going, "Yeah, but is that even a valid question?" 
Yeah, or wait a minute, everything is relative, or I don't like what this says, or and, and it spun us out of the experience of prayer. Which goes to show, by the way, even before we go to the next two modalities, it goes to show that these are um uh these these are things that don't always work all of the time. Yeah, which is why, which is precisely why I want to take the idea of being able to move between these modalities so that we can keep our experience of prayer alive for ourselves. Thoughts, observations, anything? And again, apologies about the phone. The machine will pick it up. Okay. So, so far we have two possibilities when we, when we go into services. We can be working on the language of the prayer, whether in English or in Hebrew, or we can go in and we can say, I'm going to ask this prayer some questions. Yeah. The third modality I'm going to put under the heading of the Hebrew word remez, and remez means hint or prompt in the sense of something that gives us a little push on the way to somewhere. And I've chosen the image of a rocket launch. Alas, poor Artemis, still not up in the sky. But I've chosen the image of a rocket launch because I think that consciously or unconsciously, when we're in synagogue, this is something that we instinctively revert to when we look at a prayer. Because we're asking ourselves the question, what does this prayer launch in me? So it's different from reading the prayer and the words on the page, and it's different from asking questions about the prayer. Where does this prayer come from? Why does the prayer look at it this way and that way? It's a much more subjective experience. What do I feel while this prayer is happening to me. And my own feeling is that we're, this is the thing that we're never taught when it comes to prayer. It, it's sort of tacitly expected of us that we will go in and there will, we will be put in the presence of prayer and we will be moved. But nobody ever really clarifies for us that this is what we're doing, that as we're sitting with the prayer open in front of us, the process is, where is this prayer going to take me today? How is this prayer speaking to me? Shema Yisrael. Well, it so happens that I woke up this morning. This is the truth, by the way. I woke up this morning with swimmer's ear. I don't know why. I haven't been swimming. But I woke up this morning with... So if I'm going to if I'm gonna be in a remez approach to Shema Yisrael, I'm going to say, okay, given that I can't physically hear, what am I going to make of the word Shema Yisrael this morning? And it can be a really beautiful process, this this praying with Remes, the holding the text open in front of us. I'm I'm a visual learner, so the, the pattern of the words on the page is important. And I ask myself, if I'm going to use the Remes modality to pray, I ask myself, okay, what's sparkling for me today in this prayer? As I read this prayer, is there something that sticks out? for me. As I move my soul over this prayer, what catches for me? 
it can feel sometimes like letting the prayer pray me. Yeah, I'm going to go in, I'm going to uh, I'm going to hold the book open and I'm going to see what catches. And it can also be I'm, I'm throwing a lot of images at us because Remes is a, a kind of metaphorical way of doing it. It's also a making of a window in the words. If the prayer was on a computer screen in front of me, which of the words would be blue? Which of the words are inviting me to click through? into another into another aspect of myself another aspect of the world it's a really lovely way to pray i think that we do it instinctively but we don't necessarily do it consciously and in a room full of people who are i I see you table let me just finish this thought in a room full of people who seem to be running ahead of us all the time or standing up and sitting down in a way that doesn't fit our rhythm we can feel that maybe this is not a valid way for us to be praying or this is in some way an inferior way for us to be praying but it's really not this is experiential prayer Okay, Taibu, yeah. I'm not sure that I heard you. I'm not sure that I heard you correctly. I thought you used the color blue, which made me think of synesthesia. But oh, I'm- thank you. Um, no, I was I was thinking about uh, it's it's your it's your blue uh, logo. Um, <laughs> and I'm not. I don't have. I think that would be that would be a really interesting way to pray Remes. I I would say that is kind of in the in the Remes bucket, maybe. Um, You know, what color is this prayer for me today? But that wasn't what I was saying. I was uh, I I was saying, you know, if it was a computer screen, you know, you know how on a piece of uh, on on a piece of say Wikipedia text, some of the words will be blue. And they're inviting, those are words that are inviting you to click through and find oh, out. So what you meant was link, that it yeah. it's not yeah. that it was link a color blue, yeah. it yeah. was a hyperlink link. or invitation. Yeah. As I'm sitting here reading this prayer, what is the word that is inviting me? Yeah. It, 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 is it Shema today? Is it Yisrael? Is it Adonai? Is it Eloheinu? Is it Echad? Which is the word that is sparkling for me today? And it'll be different words on different days because we're human beings and we have variable lives. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. And that's what makes it constantly new. Yeah. The great paradox of communal prayer, the words in the book are the same, but we are always different. Does that clarify it? Yes. No question. Great. Good. Thank you. The upside of Rena's prayer is that it's really creative. It's really imaginative. The downside is that because it's so subjective, it's actually quite easy to get distracted. You know how this goes, yeah? So, wonderful. Okay, Shma, listen. Okay, what is it? When did I listen? When did I last not? Oh, heck, you know what? I was on the phone with my mum the other day and she said something and I didn't listen to it or she accused me of not listening to her and the next thing you know you're not praying anymore yeah very easy to slip when we're praying subjectively but the upside is that it's so creative and it's so imaginative 
So now, let me summarise before we go on to number four. We've got three available approaches that we can take. And by the way, we don't have to say, today I am going to do all my praying this way. We can jump about within the prayers. Yeah? There's the pshat. We're going to learn the prayers. We're going to learn them in the Hebrew. If we don't learn them in the Hebrew, we're going to read them in the English. That's still a pshat approach. We're, we're going to become familiar with the words of the prayer. Or we're going to ask the prayer some questions. I you know, why why do you say this and not say that? What did what have our teachers in the past had to say about the prayer? What did the rabbi say last week about this prayer? What did my colleague or the person next to me point out to me about this prayer? Drush. What does this prayer launch inside me? What is this prayer doing for me, me here today? How are we how are we interacting? How are we speaking to each other? Why is it that I'm constantly being drawn today to this particular word in this particular prayer? I wonder I wonder where I can go with this word. I wonder where this thought is going to take me. I wonder it can be as big as my imagination. One of the advantages by the way of Remes prayer is that we don't need to get into theology quite so much yeah I don't need to be uh you know believe or believe or not believe um the Marif prayer um uh the the prayer about how day rolls away in front of night and night rolls away in front of day I can lose myself in those words and those images and I don't have to be worrying asking myself theological questions yeah so there's an ease to it. Here comes modality number four to make up the sets. We know from the we know from the Passover Seder how much the rabbis like to think in groups of four. This modality is called sod. Sod is the Hebrew word that means secret. But it also has this sense of being interior of being deeply, deeply inside. And if I go into a synagogue and I am going to allow myself to pray in this way, it essentially amounts to putting myself in a meditative state. I'm probably, you know, I'm not reading the words. I'm not asking about the history of the prayer or the meaning of a particular word or what teachers have had to say about it. I am not, uh, I'm not being subjective. I'm not finding myself in the prayer or letting the prayer find me. I am coming to that space so that I can be in a holy, trans in, in both senses of the word, a holy transcendent state. The words of the prayer, the music of the prayer are a backdrop to my internal journey and the prayer has transcended language. And often we don't do this consciously in a synagogue setting because it, 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 you know, maybe we've done it, I don't know, in the silence of the Amida maybe or in Kol Nidre. But often we don't go in with the conscious agenda of today, I will bring my meditation to this space. And yet this was a very real modality for the rabbis. 
singing can help, humming can help, chanting can help. All of these are our sod experiences of prayer. Um, it's It takes a little bit of courage to commit yourself to praying in this way. And because our communities are full of people who care, if you're sat there with your eyes closed for a very long period of time, the odds are on that somebody will come and put their hand on you and say, hey, are you okay? And that's because unless we are in a meditative service, and I know that Rabbi Klickfeld does meditative services at, at Beth Am, but unless we're in a service that has got the label meditative, then this isn't always something that we bring to the room. But it's so important. It's deeply internal. And it is a valid way to pray. The upside is the release and the freedom that it brings. The downside is that it's a very solitary experience. So doing it in a room full of other people can sometimes feel a little bit off. But it's a very beautiful way to pray. And if we're worn out, if we're exhausted by wrestling with the words or asking the questions, or the words don't feel like they're talking to us today, this can be a wellspring to which we can retreat and which we can drink from until we're ready to come out again. And I would love nothing would please me more as a rabbi than to see more of this going on in the rooms that I inhabit. Thoughts, questions, reactions? Can you, can you just say the last thing? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Can you just repeat the last thing you just said that you said? Mm, you said it can be. Oh, we, when you're saying it can, that it, it can be, um, I don't know the words you use, something, place to go to, and a wellspring. What, can you repeat what you said? A retreat, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah and a wellspring and a, a safe place, I would say as well, a haven, you know, consciously going in and saying, I'm just, I'm, it's, how would I put it? I would, I would almost say, I'm just going to sit here. Well, I'm, I'm a God person, so this might not speak to you, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to sit here and wait for God to come to me is one way that I would put it. I can't, I can't find the words. I can't find the, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to try and be still and let something reach out to me. I don't know if that helps or not. Yes, I, I yes, I, I, I understood. I just wanted to get the wording. Thank you. Yeah, sure. You're very, very welcome. Okay. Oh, and your hand has gone up again. No, well, because that was Mara speaking. Oh, and I'm Tybal. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Mara, do I'm our, sorry. Do our voices sound alike? I can't, you know, you can never tell what your own voice sounds like. I'm the, anyway. one, I'm the one who woke up with swimmer's ear this morning. Oh, so true. I think true. that must be what's going oh, on. So true. I'm so sorry. Mara, I'm really sorry. Gro- will it make you groan if I do swimming in the sea of Torah joke? Mm. Yeah, okay. All right. But this is what I was going to ask. Something, that, the way you just said this made me wonder as if when you're laying out this categorization, the kinesthetic elements of prayer 
which for those who shuckle is through the whole thing. But even those who don't shuckle, there's choreography with many of the prayers. I mean, at least a few. Well, not many, at least a few. Amida has some choreography. Elenu has choreography. Is the choreography, what I'm going to say choreography, is that part of Sod for you? Uh, praying with your body, I would say yes, because one way into the meditation is to focus on the breath. So it is an embodied practice, yeah. And because... um, Not necessarily the standard choreography. Well, for for myself, if I'm using this modality, I need to be very, very still. So if I so if I do rock, I'm not rocking consciously and I might not be rocking at the point in the service where everybody else is rocking. Do you see? Oh, yes. But what it also made me think of, because it's now become an association with Betham because of how Rabbis Kliegfeld and Schatz, 22, I get Rabbi Kanner 20, love the two Deborah Sachs mints. Minha Metzar and the one based on Job. And mm-hmm. if you watch her and many others from the Hadar Ensemble, I forget what it's called, they have these hand motions yeah. mo- pointing up to the heavens doing certain things, which sometimes I watch the YouTube just to watch the hand motions. Right, right. Do people do people know about this? I might pop this in the chat because it's very, very lovely. Hold on a minute. Let me just find everyone. Um, do you want me to get it? I have it saved. Thank you. I don't know. No, thank you. I, I consider it's uh, I consider it's part of what I give you as a teacher. So there's there it is in the chat. Um, Deborah Saxmintz and the Hadar Ensemble. Um, she is one of the uh, she is one of the great makers of contemporary Jewish melodies. Um, yeah, I mean not specific choreography, but the idea of embodied prayer. Yeah, is uh, is I I think that fits better with this modality than with the others. Does that make sense? Yes, and it's more things to think about. Good, good. I like giving people things to think about. So that's what I have to say about communal prayer. Yeah, that these are four modalities that are available to us to take into the High Holy Days with us to see if they can help us, um, uh, help reinvigorate our prayer to take ownership of our prayer, to be confident in the way that we're praying and to come back to my main theme to reiterate for ourselves that there is no one right way to pray. It's all about these multiple modalities. And what I would say is if we've been praying in a particular way and it's stopped working for us or it doesn't work for us all the time, I would hope that after this session we will grant ourselves the gift of the freedom to experiment a little bit more with the way that we pray. We've got about 15 minutes left, I think, and so I would like to do just a little, I have three or four slides left, and I'd like to, uh, I'd like to move over to personal prayer, if I may. Is everybody okay with that? Does everybody, does anyone have to go rushing off? 
Yes, no, maybe. Ah, okay. I have a thumbs up. Always an encouraging thing. Okay, so let's get let's go to personal prayer. And the first thing the first thing that I want to say about personal prayer is depending on uh, depending on our backgrounds, um, it might not be the most obvious thing that we can uh, that we can think of uh, when it comes to Jewish prayer, because Jewish prayer is you go to shul and you pray, right, and you have a siddur, and the siddur has got prayers in it, and prayers come in a book, and so on and so on and so on. So the first thing I want to iterate is that spontaneous prayer has always been part of the Jewish tradition, always, 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 right to the very, very way back. We know this because our prayer for healing is Moses's outburst, please God, please heal her. We know this because of the other prayers that we encounter in Torah, um, and yet, for some reason, we often don't have the confidence to say to ourselves, I can pray in my own words. I can pray at any time, in any place. Um, the neo-Hasidic tradition has given this back to us. But uh, for for a lot of us, we, we may have been brought up to think that the prayers that we get to say as Jews are the prayers that are in the book. Thank God we are living at a time where there is a reclaiming of personal personal prayer, but it's always been there. The treasure was hiding under the stove all the time, all the time. One of my favorite little bits of Talmud, yeah? Um, you know, we might worry that spontaneous prayer isn't Jewish, but I give you the model of Rabbi Akiva. This is an aspect of Rabbi Akiva that is maybe less well known than the other ways that we encounter him. Um, We've had a lot of my voice in this session. Would somebody would somebody be prepared to read? I can read. Thank you, Mara. Have at it. Bechavot. Um, it has been taught, such was the custom of Rabbi Akiva. When he led the community in prayer, he used to cut it short and finish in order not to inconvenience the community. But when he prayed on his own, you could leave him in one corner and find him later in another on account of his many prostrations and genuflections. Okay. So this partly addresses what Teibel was saying in terms of body prayer. Yeah, body prayer and personal prayer. Um, notice that uh, notice that he would try and keep his prayers short when he was prayer leading. Uh, we always knew that Rabbi Akiva was a good guy, and this, I think, proved it. Yeah, we pray at a speed that is going to get everybody out to Kiddush in time. But when we've got our own time and our own space, by contrast, we can take as much time as we like. We can use as many words as we like, as many tunes as we want to, and we can move ourselves around the room when we pray. We have total freedom in our personal prayer. There are no boundaries. And that has always been the way but it's not always been the way that we've been taught how to pray. So we may not be in practice with this type of prayer. And one way that we can enliven our prayer life and our inner prayer life is actually to consider it as a practice and to begin to condition and experiment and work out as it were, in the in the physical sense, um, create ourselves little prayer workouts so that we can build 
though we can build that vocabulary for ourselves. We can build those muscles. Because often, when we're, when we're starting out with a personal practice, the words won't come. This is all I have to say about the moments where the words won't come. Would somebody read? My voice has been there <laughs> a lot, but if I can't see if anyone else is volunteering. Go ahead. What if I get stuck? The divine stream is ever flowing. Make yourself into a channel to receive the waters from above. Rav Cook from Likutai Yekarim or Torah, translated by Rabbis Green and Holtz. Thank you. Thank you. The divine stream is ever flowing. Make yourself into a channel to receive the waters from above. Somehow we can ask ourselves to find our way back to that state of openness where we can pray. We don't have to find the words. All we need to do is kind of open ourselves and line up and the prayer will come. We'll receive the waters from above. All we have to do is make ourselves into a channel. There's such trust in this quotation. There's such wisdom. There's such confidence. We don't need a book. We don't need a building. We don't need special clothes. All we need to do is open up and we'll be praying. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite quotations about prayer. And bearing this in mind means that we can feel confident in developing our own practice. Yeah, our own tachanunin, the, the prayer that is coming from inside ourselves. So I want to offer that as a possibility for personal prayer. But I also want to offer another treasure that has been hiding under the stove, hiding in plain sight, and that is the practice of saying brachot. If we're stuck with how to pray, we can always fall back on a bracha. We can always fall back on an acknowledging. It's a way of acknowledging a moment. So Rabbi Meir, who was a student of Rabbi Akiva's, by the way, um, looks at this word in this verse, what does the Lord your God require of you? The word is ma, the Hebrew word for what, and says that word doesn't say ma, that word says mea. If you if you fiddle around with the vowels, that word says mea, which is the Hebrew word for a hundred. Mea is what God requires of us. <coughs> mea what? A hundred what? A hundred blessings. A hundred blessings a day. Um, I'm not great with math, but I think that works out about one every ten minutes for the average time that a human being is awake. So... If we are if we are moved in our personal lives to pray, the saying of a bracha is a vessel that is always available there for us to pour our feelings into. We saw at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of today's session, we saw that we have the between us in our in our sort of communal mind the traditional format of the blessing Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech 
something, 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 something else. Yeah. Um, but and uh, and I want to offer that if we're saying a bracha to acknowledge a particular moment in our day, the second half of the bracha doesn't have to be in Hebrew. We can allow ourselves the freedom of doing it in English. Um, we do this at camp often. Yeah, you take your you take your um, you take your students out on a morning a morning walk, and uh, you let them stop and make a bracha any time they see they want uh, something they want to make a bracha about. Baruch Elohim who made this beautiful flower, and everybody says Amen. Yeah, we can, as adults, we're entitled to take that back as a practice. And so, <coughs> pardon me, what are the bracha, where do we start if we want to build ourselves a bracha practice? What are the ones that we already know? There are a couple of brachot that work that that are capable of work, traditional brachot that are capable of working very hard for us. The best go to is uh, for for anything that we're ingesting is shehakol nihia bidvaro, yeah, uh, which means baruch atadonai praise praise to you, holy one, Eloheinu melech power, mystery, ruler of the world. Shehakol nihia bidvaro, that everything comes into existence because of your word, that everything is here because of you. It's a prayer that works better for theists than atheists, but it's a useful one to have up your sleeve. A favorite, though, of mine is uh, this this format. I don't know how many people are familiar with this. Shekachalo Olamo, in whose universe it is thus. Praised are you, dot, 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 in whose universe it is thus. It works for birds, it works for butterflies, it works for trees, it works for sunsets, it works for thunderstorms, it works for rain, it works for rainbows, it works for when your dog comes up and licks you. It's a really, really useful dual prayer. Um, when I'm praying in English rather than in Hebrew, my my own personal equivalent of Shekachalobalamo is nice job God. Um, and that's a prayer I often say. And it's very available. And it's a bracha. We can add new brachot to our vocabulary one at a time. I strongly, strongly encourage creating brachot of our own. It can be a nice thing to do with family members if we have family members with us. Hey, here's the thing. What is the thing to say? This is linking back more to uh, Octavia's experience that he brought in. That he's, uh, you know, you're out of quarantine. That's a bracha moment. Yeah, you're out of quarantine. You've seen your parents for the first time in however or however. That's a moment that demands a bracha. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be a bracha in traditional words. It can be a it can be a bracha expressed in different ways. Um, there would be room to do Marig, yeah. Um, I <clears throat> I just wanted to clarify. I mean, ask you is Shak um is Shakonia bidvaro is that the is that the blessing we say on food when we're not eating bread or my yeah, yeah. It is. Okay, that's yeah, 
Okay. Yep. It's the bracha for chocolate and cheesecake and everything in between. <laughs> yeah, I thought, okay, yeah, so it is for everything when you're eating bread. And fish and meat and, and, and so on and so on and so on. And what, and what did you say? I missed what you said. You and said water. that. Thank you, yeah. You said your, your English of, or your, your personal one, Shekha Lo Baalamo. Yeah, nice, nice job, God. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> it just came to me one day when I was looking at a sunset and it's kind of hung around. But, yeah. but I, I, I offer it in the sense that we can be very simple, very straightforward in the language that, that comes to us first. It doesn't need to be poetic or ornate or complicated. A prayer doesn't have to be a poem. Yeah, I think when we're I think when we're confronted with the beautiful prayers of the Siddur, we think that maybe it does have to, but truly it doesn't. And then one more thing that I want to throw in, um, which is for those of us who do not want to imagine God as an old man in the sky. I'm a big fan of feminine language and non-gendered language. Um, feminine language, uh, you, can, you can look this up or, or this is something that could be taught maybe in another session. But I find it makes an almighty difference when you change the gender. Consciously or unconsciously, we've grown up with um, God being translated as masculine. It makes a very big difference when you play with the genders. So, Brucha uh, Atya, yeah, or Brucha Atshchina, praise to you, God, is one feminine iteration. And non-gendered, maybe my favorite of my favorite of all, Navarech. Let us bless. And it makes a difference. I promise it makes a difference in our personal prayer to use these uh, different iterations. So then the only thing is to use them, to, uh, to, say, to say to ourselves, I'm open to seeing what happens if I pray, uh, if I pray, uh, if I pray personally. I wonder what will happen. I wonder what will happen if I give myself the freedom outside of shul to to let myself pray in a way that takes me back to my basics. And I wonder what will happen if I give myself the freedom in shul to move between different modalities of prayer based on the wisdom of our ancestors. Any final questions or thoughts? Yeah. Yes, I put it in the chat, but I'm having more trouble typing. Um, when you started with the Nevarech formulation, it, do you use Marsha Falk's Nevarech or you have your own or someone else's? I play around with it. Uh, the Marsha Falk iteration is, are you talking about Nevarech at Mayan Chayenu? I can't hear you. Um, yes, though I think she, over the years, has had more than one Nevarez. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, um, there, is, uh, there is a writer called Marsha Falk who's got beautiful non-gendered uh, non language for prayers. 
And sometimes I'll make up. Sometimes I'll make up my own. Sometimes I'll say Avarich because it's just me on my own. Sometimes I'll say I bless. Sometimes I'll say thank you. Sometimes I'll say praised be, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, I think it's more about allowing ourselves the freedom to put ourselves in the divine stream and see what comes out. Yeah, I, I I do believe that when we when we put ourselves in that flow, then what comes out is not going to come out wrong. Other final thoughts? If I may, just to thank you for being so open to questions. Oh, my pleasure. I, I uh, questions are questions are what it's about. Truly, thank you, thank you. Always a pleasure. I think it's, I think, I mean, um, I mean, this is a, a longer piece, but it, I think it is difficult and that is the challenge to be able to go, allow oneself to go in and out of these different realms in the, com, in a communal space. Sure. Um, it's, you know, it's much easier, obviously, in a personal private space, but in a communal Agreed. space. Agreed. And that's the, but I, I, I think, uh, thank you. Thank you, Table. Um, I think it depends. I mean, with the, with the rabbis that you've got at Beth Arm, I, I would say that permission is, is there. And I think it also depends very much on the space. A big room feels different from a small room and outside feels different from inside. Yeah. But if we if we don't allow ourselves the freedom to experiment, I think that we run the risk that our prayer loses meaning. And if our prayer loses meaning, um, often I think it feels to us that we're doing something wrong. And it can be frustrating or irritating. But the, the wisdom is there, the means uh, the means are there. And the more of us, the more of us who pick it up and do it, the more um, normative it's going to become. Yeah. So if you see me sitting in the back row with my tully over my head, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and now I have to ask. I know we're over time, and it's me again. But I'm in Maryland, so I'll, and the camera doesn't show the back row. I'm now interested to know what your tallest, or you may have more than one but what your um, telacine look like, because t given what, given the sense you've given me as a teacher, I have a feeling that your talus has real meaning for you. It does, but I don't want to take up uh, time in the, in the session. Uh, if, if that's okay. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't come prepared to talk about it. It's quite a personal thing for me to talk about. Um, sorry that I asked. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's always all right to ask. Um, I, I have a few. I have a few. Sorry. Hold on a minute. Um, yeah, that's a, that I, I teach a whole session on Talit, but, uh, that's not for tonight. Um, can can you, I just wanted I was wanted to write down the quote from um, Rav Cook. Can you uh, can you just read it again? Please? Let me just let me just find it and I'll pop it up again. Thank you. Thanks. You're very welcome. 
You're very welcome. I need another minute. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. It, it can be up there for as long as you like. Uh, Rachel, uh, Rachel, yeah, Rachel. It's nice to see you. You'll need to unmute. Okay, got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Rachel, unmute. Uh, maybe it was an accidental hand. <laughs> that can happen too. That's fine. Okay. Um, so let's do, it's 6.35, but can I keep you for five minutes more? Because I, I, I want us just to do one one more thing. We've spent an hour and a half talking about prayer. We didn't pray together. feels important that even though this is a Zoom room and we're in all different places, that we should just take a moment. Is everybody okay with the first line of the Shema in Hebrew or in English? We don't need to say it out loud. Um, we don't. Uh, if you want to choose to experiment with one of the modalities, let me just remind us that Pshat would be saying the words drush would be asking ourselves i wonder why this word is here and i wonder why i, I wonder why it is like that remes would mean which of these words is talking to me today and sod would just be probably not even articulating the words but thinking them quite probably with our eyes closed Let's just take a comfortable seat, pick which modality we're going to do, and let's just give ourselves a little minute to put ourselves in that divine flow and just in whatever way it's going to happen for us this evening. Let's just pray. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Thank you, everybody, for coming. <laughs> um, I don't know if Ari wants to talk about other sessions that are going to be coming up this week. I know that you can go to the Temple Betham website and there's an incredibly rich collection of Elul studies available for everyone. Ari, do you want to add anything? <laughs> Thank you for all of the lovely things coming up in the chat. I'm very touched. Okay, if not, then let's, uh, let's give each other a wave because I always, I always like to wave at the end of a Zoom. I think there's something very powerful about the waving experience. And um, we will see each other again soon, I hope. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.